Amen. Well, good morning. It is so wonderful to see all of you here and see so many faces. My first thought uh, in standing up here is, I'm really glad that there are so many visitors here and that one of them is not Tim, our fire chief. So nobody call the fire inspector right now, please. We're glad we were able to fit everybody in. Let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, some of you are just hopping into this journey that we've had throughout our Lenten season. We've been journeying since the beginning of March, and it started with one simple word, and that word is confession. Not something that we're very good at, most of us. Not something that we probably enjoy doing very much, but it's something that we practiced each and every Sunday since early March. We've confessed our sins, our temptations, our lack of understanding, our self-righteousness, our deadness. And here we are on Easter morning, and, and in the light of this resurrection story that we've been singing and remembering, I think it's, I think it's fair for us to ask, why confession? Why all of this talk about confessing our sins? Isn't our time better spent focusing on the message of Easter morning, of, of the life of Jesus Christ that is available to us through the resurrection? Doesn't, doesn't the reality of new life in Christ, life beyond death, free us from rituals and practices like confession anyways? Well, my word this morning is that confession is actually one of the defining characteristics of Easter people. The word confess in the New Testament simply means to acknowledge, acknowledgement. When I confess my sins, I'm acknowledging them and stating that they are in fact true. But the same is true for a different kind of confession. Not the confession of our own sins, but a confession of faith. When Mary encounters the risen Christ at the tomb, she calls him rabbi and then she calls him Lord. That is a confession as well. It's an acknowledgement that those titles are true of Jesus. But there's something else in this word, in its New Testament usage. Every time that it's used as a verb or a commandment to confess, there's a sense that the confession is coupled with a change, a change in conviction or behavior or action by the person who's confessing. In other words, whether we're confessing our shortcomings or we're confessing Jesus as Lord, it better change us. It's not just an intellectual matter of the mind. It has to be a matter of the heart for us. If my children confess wrongdoing to me, you guys don't ever have to do that, right? Never. If they do that to me, but then they go and they do the same thing over and over again, it's a signal to me that that confession was really an empty confession. They haven't absorbed the realities of their mistakes. It's a signal that somehow the reality has not traveled from their heads to the deepest parts of their hearts. Well, what about a confession of Jesus as Lord? If that doesn't change who we are, change our priorities, our behaviors, our intentions, then we're really missing something. If we aren't changed by our confessions of sin and our confessions of faith, they are merely words. They're academic exercises and dead rituals that get us nowhere. But if this morning tells us anything, it's that dead things do not need to be dead. If we allow these confessions to change us, 
to be infused with the power of life beyond death, they change our focus completely. Confession is no longer about me saying the right words or, or me believing the right things or me changing my outlook or me empowering myself or me growing in my life. No, true confession isn't about me. It's all about God. So when we confess and it stays only in our heads, something that we have to do, something that we have to repeat, something that we have to say, something that we have to believe, that's not a biblical confession. A biblical confession starts with an honest assessment of, of self, but then it always moves towards worship, a glorifying of God. And that's the power of the resurrection. Without it, all that's left is me trying to somehow forgive myself, absolve myself, make myself right, and hope that that's going to be enough for me. It's like living with only looking at the things that are right in front of you. But because of the resurrection, I have a different focus, not on myself, but on Jesus. And our text this morning speaks of that. I want to put up that text again for you. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Paul is writing to the believers in Colossae, and they are being reminded that their confession of faith is not just something that they say, it's not a set of beliefs that they live by, it's a core part of who they are. And Paul's reminding them that Christ didn't just die and rise again, but as, as they are confessors, believers, they died with him. And they are raised again with him. What does this mean to be united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection? It means that they continue to live on earth in these mortal bodies, but they have actually embarked on a totally new way of life. And so it is with us. We've been infused with the power of the resurrection. And since we share, we participate in Jesus' risen life, our chief interests are centered on him. His interests have become ours. And Paul says, if that's true of you, you must pursue those things that belong to the heavenly realm. Your mind, your attitude, your ambition, your entire outlook must be characterized by the living bond that you have with the resurrected Christ. And the world won't get it, just as they can't see the resurrected Christ right now. But we await a time in which all will be revealed. So if you believe this story today, if you believe that the tomb was indeed empty and Jesus defeated death and was brought back to life and you're willing to confess him as living Lord, it has to change you. Fundamentally, it has to change you. There is no other option. Just as the resurrection fundamentally changed human history, so it has to change our trajectory as well. And why? Because a true confession of Jesus means that our lives are bound to his life. As Paul says, if you confess Jesus as Savior, then you died with him. You journeyed to the cross with him, and you've been raised to life with him as well. You have no option to merely believe that this is a good story because it's your life. You've lived it. Wendell Berry coined a phrase saying our job as confessors is to practice resurrection. 
Eugene Peterson was so caught up with those two words and the thoughts behind them that he wrote an entire book called Practice Resurrection. And in it, he defines what it means to do so. He says, the practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. When we practice resurrection, we continuously enter into what is more than we are. So this morning, it's not nearly enough for me to ask of you to believe in the story of the resurrection. That's the easy part, believe it or not. No, this morning, I want to ask you to do something far greater. I want to ask you to devote your life to practicing resurrection to be the true confessor whose, whose mind and heart act as one and who is constantly changed by the power of the risen Christ. So what does that mean for us to practice resurrection? What does it mean practically for us? A few things that I want to challenge us with. First, it means that we need to die all day, every day. Stay with me, okay? There is no resurrection without death. Every day, all day, we have opportunities to die, to die to ourselves. We have an opportunity to lay aside our interests for the interests of others. We have opportunities to say, I'm sorry when we've done wrong, rather than trying to justify ourselves or to save face. We have an opportunity to actually listen to other people because we want to listen to them. We have an opportunity to go last. We have an opportunity to sweep the floor or clean the toilet when nobody else will. We have an opportunity to ask, what could I do to bless you today? We have an opportunity to devalue our own personal time, our space, our things. As Paul says to the Colossians, you died with Christ, so keep dying so that you can keep rising. Our confession of sin is a dying to self as well, right? Because we're admitting that we're sinful and that we don't have all the answers. That's a death. You know, were it not for Jesus in my own life, I don't think I'd ever apologize for anything, to be honest with you. There'd, no, there'd be no reason to ever go last, because what does that really get you in life? My relationships would be about what I can take from somebody rather than what I could give. I can tell you right now, I would militantly guard my time and my money and my stuff were it not for Jesus. But because of what Jesus did for me, the least I can do is find ways to die to myself. That's the first step in practicing resurrection. Second, we never give up on things that seem dead. We're surrounded by things that seem dead and hopeless in our lives, I think, if we're being honest with ourselves. Do you have a dream that you've pretty much given up on? A relationship that's irreparably severed? a societal injustice that feels just way too big and difficult and oppressive to, to try and tackle, a sinner that you know that's just off the deep end, a pain in your life that you're convinced will never get better, a wrong that's been done to you that you cannot imagine ever, ever forgiving, a destructive pattern in your life that has more power than you know how to handle, a marriage that seems beyond resolution, a future that seems unattainable. A dream of children that is dying. 
Well, you know what else is dead? Stone cold, absolutely, without question, dead. A, a, a person who dies on the cross and is pierced with a spear to prove it, that person is dead. Absolutely dead. But of course, he's not dead. If a dead man can become a living man, I think the things that seem dead in our lives have a better than fighting chance of knowing life again as well. You see, without Jesus, dead things stay dead. If someone hurts me, I cut them out of my life. If my marriage isn't working, time to move on. If there are injustices, I throw up my hands and, and I put them in the air and I say, it's not my problem, can't deal with it, not my problem. Pains in my life because of wrongs that are done to me, I wear them as a badge and I make them who I am. But because of Jesus, nothing is hopeless and dead things come to life all the time, so much so that I expect them to come to life. Third, keep your focus on heavenly things rather than earthly things. This comes right out of our passage. Keep your focus. If you're practicing resurrection, then you must seek heavenly things, the things that truly matter to God. Our default focus is always going to be on earthly things, the things that are right here, right in front of us. It's going to be on our bank accounts and our social capital and, our, and the state of our homes and the shine on our cars and the advancement of career, the nest egg, the accolades, the autonomy, the power, the prestige, the recognition, the perception of others, and on and on it goes. Those are the things that are right in front of us. But God has an eternity in store for us. An eternity in which I can promise you none of those things are going to matter at all. Not at all. So keeping our focus on heavenly things means that we are looking way out. And we're saying, what would please you, God, what would have eternal impact for you today? Without Jesus, I'd be perfectly content to live right here with whatever's in front of me. But because of Jesus, I take joy in the long view. As Wendell Berry says, invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. In other words, invest in things that you couldn't possibly enjoy yourself. Take the long view. Keep your focus on heavenly things. You see, when we put these three things together, dying to self, pursuing things that seem dead, and keeping our focus on heaven, we practice resurrection. And the whole point of our eight weeks of confession in Lent was to move us from a confession of sin to a confession of Jesus as Lord, and that it might lead us to be people who are practicing resurrection. That we might be preparing a a small army of confessors here at Hinsdale Covenant Church who know who they are, good and bad, and who know who Jesus is, and they are empowered to die and rise with him every day. I feel so strongly about this because the world desperately needs men and women, boys and girls, who will fearlessly practice res resurrection as their only life's goal. We have a world that is dying for Christians who will please, please practice what they confess. And Jesus is not done with this dying world. No, far from it. He is still doing his resurrection work through those who are willing to give their lives to practicing it.
I want to close with an illustration this morning. In 1971, the English composer Gavin Bryars was working on an audio portion of a documentary about street life in the Elephant and Castle and Waterloo neighborhoods in London, pretty rough neighborhoods at the time. And the focus of this documentary was on um, street dwellers, homeless people who were living there. At what point a number of these men on the street broke into a series of songs. Most of them were body and quite off color, and Gavin Bryars began to record them. But in the midst of them, he caught a man in the corner, homeless man, who had not been drinking, and he was able to catch just one line that this man sang. I want to play it for you. Never fell with me yet. Never fell with me yet. Jesus' blood never fell with me yet. This one thing I know, for he loved me so. Jesus' blood. That's a stirring clip, isn't it? A man who most would say is forsaken by God, maybe not blessed in the way that we think about it, whose life hasn't worked out very well, is here making a confession of a loving, risen Savior. This homeless man didn't make it into the documentary, but Gavin was taken by this short little clip that he found when he was going through his stuff. And he realized that the man's singing fit perfectly into 13 bars, so Briar's created a loop on a tape-to-tape reel, thinking that perhaps he could use this for the f- in the future in some sort of creative project. He was bringing a number of tape-to-tape reels over to a recording studio to show a friend, and they started playing them, and he stepped out for about an hour to get a cup of coffee, and when he came back, he found that the entire staff at the recording studio was in tears. They had put on that tape and left it running for 20, 25 minutes, that continuous loop. And the staff found it so beautiful and haunting that they were overcome with emotion. Breyer says, this convinced me of the emotional power of the music and of the possibilities offered by adding a simple, though gradually evolving orchestral accompaniment that respected the homeless man's nobility and simple faith. And that's what Breyer's did. It ended up being a 25-minute piece, won many, many awards. Later on, it became an over-hour-long piece. I want to just play you just a little bit of the finished product. man died before he could hear the award-winning piece. 
but clearly his voice lives on and has touched millions and millions of people. For me, it's a testimony of a man who understood what it meant to practice confession and to practice resurrection. And this is such a perfect model for us because when we give our best to Jesus, broken and insignificant and weak as we are, then Jesus infuses it with the power and creativity and imagination of the resurrected new life, and it becomes something new. When we choose to die to self and never give up on seemingly dead things and keep our focus on heaven, God adds his own heavenly orchestration and creates something more beautiful and effective and wide-reaching than we could ever imagine or create ourselves. But it begins with a simple confession and a willingness to say, Jesus, my life is hidden in you. My desire is to die and rise with you, and my desire is to practice resurrection in all that I do. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. They're going to lead us in singing in just a minute. But I want to spend just a few minutes in quiet prayer, if we could. I'll invite you to bow your heads in the quiet of this place. I know that some of you hear this message today and you say, I know what it, pra- what it means to practice resurrection, and I'm so thankful, God, for that reminder. And there are some of you who have known Jesus for a long time. You've believed in him. You've known the story. But you've never really committed to joining in his resurrection. You've never seen your life as one that is dying and rising with Christ. And I know that there are some of you here today who have not yet crossed the threshold of giving your life over to Jesus. Wherever you are today, I want to ask, is God speaking to you? Is God calling you to be courageous? To really take this seriously, maybe for the first time, to orient your life around practicing resurrection every single day. Wherever you are, this time, this space is for you to make new commitments to Jesus. Maybe you want to recommit yourself again Maybe you want to have the courage to say, I want to live into this really for the first time. I want you to take as much time as you need. And when you're ready, I'll invite you to stand and to sing with us. But as you stand, let it be, just as you're rising to your feet, it's your commitment to say, I will practice rising. I will practice resurrection every day here forward. Let these words that we sing be your confession. Let the holy orchestration of Easter take over in your heart. We'd invite you to stand and join us whenever you're ready.